third strike, and Bubich has tied his career high with nine strikeouts, and he's done it in five and two-thirds innings. Oh, man. He's just hitting spots. He's, he's hot on everything. His slider's working change-up with four-seam fastball. Look at that. Perfectly located in Wilmer. Everyone, welcome to the Royals Rundown here with Jacob Milham. Joining me tonight, I do have Jeremy Greco and Greg Walker for our usual Sunday evening episode. Now, I do have to clarify, tonight's episode will be the usual riff and analysis on all things Kansas City Royals, but it will also serve as the Royals recap for the April 9th loss to the San Francisco Giants. We got we to gotta talk about that. Jeremy, I know you got to talk about your guy, Chris Bubich, later on, but how are you doing tonight, man? Uh, you know, I'm not as good as Bubich, but I'm better than Yarbrough, so Oof. we'll go with that. Okay. All right. Well, Greg, on a on a scale from Bubich to Yarbrough, how are you doing? Is that like a, a high to low scale? I don't know exactly how that's been structured. So I'm just going to say I'm, I'm doing like a, a Zach Granke right now. I'll just say that, I guess. Hey, there you go. I'll take that. I'll take that. Well, hey, before we get too deep in the episode, we do have to thank Royals Review, who make this podcast happen every single episode. Please go check them out at RoyalsReview.com for news and analysis on all things Kansas City Royals. And then also check them out on Facebook and on Twitter. So guys, we are recording about an hour and a half after the last pitch in a very, I wouldn't call it a a disappointing loss, but a very deflating loss to the uh, San Francisco giants. The Royals went into today's game already having the series win locked up. They won the first two out of the three, and it was really looking like the Royals were actually going to sweep the giants in their first series on the road And then the eighth inning happened. Um, It was just absolutely deflating. And yeah, it's oof. It was very frustrating to say the least. But Greg, we do have to talk about some of the positives here. The Royals, they finally win their first series of the 2023 season. Does does that do anything for you? Does that make you a little bit more excited? Does that help with, uh, with some of the frustrations of this past week of Royals baseball? I'm not going to lie. I haven't really uh, changed my thoughts on this team at all since even before the season started, because I'm, I'm pretty even keeled to the team's first month or so, because, you know, small sample size and all, I don't really know exactly what we're going to see yet, but it is nice to get that first series win out of the way for sure. Especially when it comes to your first series on the road, that's pretty impressive. And as you mentioned, they weren't too far off from making it a sweep at San Francisco. Now, granted, you're not going to win that many games scoring only one run, but still they were pretty close to it. So Getting that first series went out of the way is nice. The pitching has looked pretty solid so far, especially in terms of the starting rotation. Offense, though, still leaving quite a bit to be desired. For sure, for sure. And we're going to talk about a little bit more on the offense later on in the episode. But, Jeremy, let's stick to some of the the positives, even in today's loss. Your guy, Chris Bubich, he went six innings and only gave up two hits, shutout baseball, and the whole whopping nine strikeouts and no walks. Like, that is is a great game from Bubich, isn't it, Jeremy? It's one of the best of his career. And, you know, despite the fact that he's had kind of a middling career, he's had some really good starts from time to time. Uh, Immediately comes to mind is the almost no hitter against the Cubs that he threw. Um, He's he, he, 
twirls a gem every once in a while. And today was one of those. Um, I love that he tied his career high in strikeouts. I love that he only gave up two hits. But uh, one thing that I think is really important that you noted, zero walks today. No walks from Chris Bubich. Chris, uh, the walks were a real big problem for all of the Royals pitchers last year, but Chris Bubich was certainly among those for whom the walk bug was a serious issue. Um, he has now walked one batter in 11 innings so far this year. Pretty good. That'll play, as they say. Uh, and the other thing is that he... Uh, oh, I... <laughs> <laughs> brain fart. I had it. It was right there. And then it was gone. Um, the pitch count. He threw 76 pitches through six oh, innings yeah. today. That is really, really efficient. And I, I cannot stress enough that the Royals of the past few years kept trying to tell me, Oh, you got to pitch to contact, uh, to keep that pitch count down. And it never seemed to work. And then I'd look at all these other guys pitching these complete game, no hitters, 90 pitches, 20 strikeouts, you know, whatever. Uh, obviously, that's an exaggeration, but still. Um, and then you see Chris Bubich today go out there, and he gets nine strikeouts, 76 pitches, and six innings. I'll take that, please, every day of the week. Yeah, that is the truth. Greg, I mean, through two starts, did you foresee Chris Bubich being the best starting pitcher on the in the Royals rotation? No, definitely not. I mean, I've never been nearly as high on Bubich as Jeremy over here has. And <laughs> like, I, I did like him a lot coming out of school. I'll admit he was just, he was nails at Stanford. And so I thought he could absolutely be a great starting pitcher in the majors, especially after I think it was that 2019 season he had when he led the entire minor leagues in strikeouts. I mean, you don't do that by accident. And so it's always been there. And now he's actually, he's incorporating the slider a lot more. He seems to be throwing harder. And as you mentioned, he's limiting the walks, which have been such a huge problem for him over the past few years. It's been absolutely massive for him. It only sucks that the Royals have only managed to score one run in each of his starts so far. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Hey, while we're talking about that, let's, let's just talk about the Royals as a whole, because I do feel like the poor offensive start has, I wouldn't say been forgotten, but almost been forgiven to a certain extent after the Royals actually scored a run. And what was it? Their, their third game of the season. Like it was, it was really bad. So let's let's look at the Royals in all of Major League Baseball. They have the worst average, the let's see, I want to say the worst OPS, the second worst OPS, you know, a whopping 576 is uh, is really things to write home about. Um, they have the worst on base percentage. They have they're tied for the least amount of runs scored all season. And then they have the second fewest amount of hits to the uh, powerhouse Oakland athletics. So that is uh that's some pretty great company to be in. Right. Jeremy, the, the, the bats are doing great things. Awesome. The, the frustrating thing is, and I, it's been harped on to the point that it's already almost become a meme on Royals Twitter. They're hitting the ball hard. They're just not getting hits. And I know some of it is uh, uh, when we last talked about this last week, some of it was the, the uh, launch angles were not ideal, but even so the, you would expect them to have, they had a 208 Babbitt at the time, despite a ridiculous hard hit rate. And I'm, I'm looking at the hard hit rates from today. The Royals had seven of the top 10 hardest hit balls. Um, one of those from NJ Melendez was a barrel and had a 470 expected batting average turned into a fly out. 
Uh, you know, we did get the Salvador Perez RBI single. It was the hardest hit ball. Vinny Pasquantino hit a single and a double that were up there. Uh, Kyle Isbell had a line out that had an expected batting average of 640, uh, an exit velocity of 104.9. What else do you want from him? And it turns into an out. I, it's just things are going to turn around. They're going to get some flares to drop. They're going to, they're going to get some of these hard hit balls are, are going to go over the wall. They're going to go into the wall. Um, and, and, and things are going to improve. I, I'm actually pretty feeling pretty good right now after watching the starting rotation, the way it's been. And just looking at these exit velocity numbers and going, it can't stay this bad for the rest of this. It just can't. Yeah. I mean, Greg, do you agree? Like it just, it can't stay this bad forever. Right. No, there's definitely still some kind of regression in the mean coming. Like they're still having some weird BABIP issues, but I'm, I, I want to tap the brace just a little bit on all the people that, as Jeremy kind of mentioned, have been harping on, Oh, but they're hitting the ball so hard. The hard hit metrics are so good. Like, yes, that that's going to help. That's definitely not a bad thing. The positive markers are there, but the thing is hard hit rate. Isn't really all that predictive of offensive success necessarily. Barrel rate is generally much more predictive and the Royals are 12th in that instead of second. And so that's still, that's still solid. Right. You know, that's still top half of the league, but I'm still not ready to say, you know, once all the numbers even out, this is going to be an above average offense. I'm not quite there yet. I like that they're hitting the ball hard, but they still have strikeout issues. And so that that's obviously going to help, or it's not going to help at all. 25% plus as a team and the early kind of walk rate success they were having seems to already be tapering off because that walk rates are just starting to slide back at 8.3% uh, after yesterday's game. So I, uh, I think there is better days ahead for sure, but I'm still not willing to say this is going to be a particularly great offense. All I'm asking for is an average offense. That's a lot to ask for. The Royals have only had that twice in the past 20 years. Yeah, I know. But like you said, 12th in barrel rate, and that's not where their offense is right now. Not even close to 12th. Well, okay. So let me, let me put it to you like this, Jeremy. If you had to pick one guy who needed to step up in the batting lineup that we see mostly every day, who would it be? Uh, sheesh. That's a rough one. That's a tough question. Cause there's, there's a bunch of guys that uh, could stand to step up a little bit. Um, basically, uh, you know, it's not Vinny Pasquatino, Salvador Perez, Matt Duffy. They're doing their jobs out there right now. Um, everybody else is, is kind of a problem. And I'm going to go with, uh, Michael Massey is probably mm. the biggest guy for me who, uh, he won that starting job coming out of spring training. And he is, he has been extremely ineffective. Only one hitter is worse on the team than Michael Massey this year. And I bet I can, uh, I can give, get you to guess who that is. If I give you three guesses and the first two don't count. Does his name rhyme with Bunter Hosier? It does. It oh does. my gosh. Yeah. Kansas City Royals legend, Bunter Hosier. <laughs> so I, I, when I'm looking at the team, I'm going, Hey, Michael Massey, figure it out. Where was Where, what happened to spring training? That's true. That's true. Greg, who would your pick be? I think I have to go with the guys that were hitting, you know, top two in the order today, MJ Melendez and Bobby Wood Jr. Like they've both gone off to pretty slow offensive starts. MJ Melendez is striking out a ton. That's been a huge issue for him. It seems like, you know, I saw one of his plate appearances today where like he had some really good takes, took a questionable pitch for a strike and then ended up K-ing anyway on a pitch that he had absolutely no business swinging at. 
And I was like, okay, hang on. What exactly is the approach here? Ta- like great takes and then chasing something in the dirt to strike out anyway. And Bobby Wood Jr., he has a 136 BABIP. And so I'm sure it's going to even out for him eventually. I like that he hasn't really been striking out all that much. The walk rate's still not great for him, but it's better than it was last year, which is not exactly a high bar to clear, admittedly. But he has a 55 WRC plus and he went over today. So those two guys really need to step it up because those are supposed to be cornerstone bats in this lineup. And so far this season, it just hasn't happened. Them. Can I can I just say that I never really bought into MJ Melendez as a cornerstone of this lineup. His swing looks long to me. And you know, when he makes contact, it goes a long ways. But when he when he's not uh ready for the pitch, he, he it feels like he's way behind on fastballs quite frequently, especially high fastballs. I think he can run a walk rate and power to be like a solid enough hitter. But the thing is like, he has the type of bat that'll be really good if he's a catcher. That, that's really the thing. Like if he's a corner outfield with that bat, he's probably going to be like a two or three more player. So not exactly like a cornerstone type. No, not, not at all to me. Hey, coming up on the other side of this ad break, we're going to talk about the, uh, the pitching rotation a little bit more. Stay tuned. And we're back on Royals Rundown. Jake Milham here with Greg Walker and Jeremy Greco. So, guys, we were talking a little bit earlier on about how the starting rotation so far has been uh, pretty impressive. And there is a there's a reliever who none of us like as a person who uh, has been doing pretty well. We're not going to talk about him a whole lot, but I would feel remiss if we didn't point him out. But let's let's focus on the starting rotation right now. I think fans are underestimating how good the starters have been. Um, the 3.29 ERA is fourth in all of major league baseball right now, uh, 54 and two thirds innings pitch. So a pretty good, a pretty good sample size right there. And as a group, a 1.26 whip, which is, I wouldn't call it elite, but that is a pretty good metric across five different guys. But it feels like there's a, there's a certain pitcher who we were expecting big things out of in 2023, who is really lagging behind the rest. And that is Brady singer. Um, his, his ERA so far, it's only, it's only two starts. So we're not going to you know throw away the whole season so far, but his starts so far have not been great. Honestly, he has a 4.91 ERA through those two starts, only 11 innings pitched three walks and only seven, seven strikeouts. Like there's the stat line is not looking very good, but Greg, I want to start off with you. Are you worried at all with singers performance so far? I'm not pressing the panic button at all yet, just because it did seem like, you know, he was behind the eight ball a little bit in spring training from the innings that he would have otherwise gotten. And he missed from being in the WBC. But that said, the lack of swing and misses he's gotten so far is a little bit worrying. I mean, his his chase rate has been down. He's not getting as many whiffs in the strike zone either. He has a 94.4% uh, contact rate on pitches in the zone, which is just absolutely absurd. The fact that he pounds the zone to the extent that he does – means he's been getting hit around a little bit, even if like the walks have been, you know, more or less under control. So I'll admit like when I covered him over the off season in my uh, season review of him, I did have some like long-term concerns about how his approach would work because he just absolutely filled up the zone and like batters would just take all the time. And I didn't really understand why. And so if batters are actually swinging at those pitches in the zone more often, then he might run into some trouble, but he, he has better swing and miss stuff than what he's shown so far. And I like that he's been actually working on that change up a lot more and the change up 
what's better this year than I did last year. And so I think long-term that he will be fine, but it's definitely worth monitoring. Like, why isn't he getting swings and misses? And like that needs to turn around because otherwise, yeah, it could, he could be back to 2021 singer. Jeremy, what do you think? So the thing about Brady Singer is that he was very good last year, but there, as Greg mentioned, there were some questions or at least should have been some questions about how effective his approach was versus the results he was getting. And I think that what we may have seen coming into this season, we've seen, you know, we've seen Brad Keller, Zach Greinke, Chris Bubich make drastic overhauls to their approaches um, that have paid dividends. And I think what we're seeing with Brady Singer is another, I think we're seeing an overhaul in his approach. Uh, again, I'm going to reference Lance Brozdowski, who's a, a pitching guy, uh, used to work at Driveline over on Twitter. Um, and he uh, cited after the Brady Singer's first start noted that his uh, extension was up. Up, his release point was a little bit different. And so, whereas that change has really paid dividends for Chris Bubich, it might be forcing Brady Singer out of his comfort zone right now. And so we might see a guy who is trying to make an adjustment before his bad approach catches up to him. So, and, and, and it's just one of those things where you got to get worse before you can get better. You got to break it before you can fix it. Um, and so I, I don't think he's done as a good pitcher by any means. I, I think this is probably going to be kind of a hiccup. And again, another thing is that, uh, Bubich, Keller, Granke all had the benefits of working with the Royals new coaching staff throughout spring training. Brady Singer was working, uh, with people over at the WBC and their focus was on winning, not on developing him as a pitcher and which is completely reasonable, but it, it does change some of that calculus a little bit. So it would make sense if he's a little bit behind everybody else on making some of those adjustments. Okay. All right. Hey, Greg, before, before you wrap this up, I do feel remiss if I wasn't pointing out, we were talking about the hard hit percentage of the bats and batters have been absolutely roughing up singer so far in 2023. He has a 64.7% hard hit rate so far through two starts his max ev is in the bottom five percent of starting pitchers at 112.8 miles per hour and his and the expected batting average against singer so far is 3.354 which is again in the bottom five percent of all starting pitchers in major league baseball so Greg, I know, I know you look at the numbers as well, Jeremy, I know you do as well, but is there like, does that have to regress to the mean a little bit? Is that going to get better or does that kind of fuel a little bit more panic? I mean, getting the swings and misses more often will definitely help. But yeah, the amount of hard contact has been worrying. And I, when I looked into Saban page, it was really just, he was missing over the middle of his play with his slider a lot over his first two starts, which last year, the heat map on his slider was just like a dot on the uh, glove side bottom corner. And it was much more in the middle of the plate through his first two starts. And so that's got to get sorted out. And look, there, there's negative regression coming for this entire pitching staff. I'm just going to say that because the roles are 25th in Xwoba with their starting or their pitching that's staff in general. So, yeah, maybe, maybe Bubich isn't, but, you know, you never know. I do want to point out the lack of swing and misses in general. Jordan Lyles currently leads the starting staff in strikeout rate. Now, that might change after Bubich's start whenever those stats are incorporated. But before today's starts, Jordan Lyles had the highest strikeout rate on the starting staff and also was tied for the lowest walk rate. All right. Well, I, so until proven differently, Jeremy, I think your guy Bubich is, uh, is on top of this rotation. I, 
I I just, you know, I, I call these things. I see them <laughs> and they happen. I do want to make one point. Um, as you say, the sliders missing out over the middle. I do wonder, they made this point of raiding the zone, setting up in the middle of the zone. Could that be affecting Brady Singer? Because now his slider, which was hitting his spot perfectly, is now in the middle of the zone. Is that something they might need to look at adjusting for him? Say, hey, when you're throwing your slider, we're not going to set up in the middle of the zone. We'll set up on the corner just like you did last year. Or do you think it's adjustment he has to make or what? Or am I just full of nonsense? Well, theoretically, if you're throwing a slider and you aim it right down the middle of the zone, it should break out of the zone, ideally. So I don't know if it's really like a targeting or a mental thing or if there's some kind of mechanical flaw he needs to fix. But yeah, I mean, it needs to get sorted out. Like it can't be missing over the middle of the plate, the slider all that often, because like if he locates it well, it's a great pitch. But in terms of raw characteristics, it's not really that good of a slider. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's really not. And his, his secondary, like the secondary good pitch in previous years has been his sinker. And I feel like that sinker has been catching a lot of the heart of the plate so far in 2023. So that's probably been leading to some, uh, to some other issues. Greg, are you, are you seeing anything different with that? Oh, it, it did in 2022 as well, but it was okay. just, I think it was just a matter of deception that batters took it so often. Like he had like the highest called strike rate in baseball. That is, that is an excellent point. Not really something that, that I thought about, but like, like we've talked about in both the offense and in the pitching, we're, we're still waiting on some bigger sample sizes before we make some ultimate judgments. After all, this is it's April 9th. There's still, I, my math freaking sucks. I think there's like 152 games left. Like it is, it's so hard to draw final results so far, but it's worth pointing out some of these things that, fans should keep keep track of at least um now a pivoting over to to something else that really fans shouldn't get too used to is Paul Hoover being the uh the manager for the Kansas City Royals but he he has done pretty well though as the as the interim manager unfortunately we don't have a timetable yet on when we're expecting Q um you know he tested positive for covid-19 it used to be you know, we're waiting two weeks before a guy rejoins. Now that's all kind of up in the air with new guidelines and new rules and things like that. But, um, Jeremy, Greg, I do want to get both of y'all's thoughts on just how Hoover has been as a manager and some of the decisions he's made. Jeremy, do you mind starting us off? No, I, the one thing about major league baseball coaches is, or major league baseball managers is I feel like they have less to do with the success of their team than, than any other head coach manager in major sports. Um, they don't design plays like football player, like uh, football, basketball and hockey coaches do. They just, they basically, they set the lineup and they pick a reliever. And uh, obviously I'm not, super thrilled with picking Ryan Yarbrough to be your setup guy uh, with a one Oh lead. I think that's a mistake. Um, and I thought it was a mistake when they signed him. Uh, I, I was like, that would be a mistake, but here we are. Uh, I noted in the, uh, the game recap that while we're relying on, we're asking Ryan Yarbrough and, and I know this isn't just a Hoover thing. I think Q had him pitching in a, in similar situations, but what we have uh, Ryan Yarbrough blowing up uh, in his outings, we've got, uh, there's a guy named Richard Lovelady pitching for uh, Gwinnett who has two appearances, hasn't allowed a hit, hasn't walked anyone and he's already struck out two batters. And I mean, there's a tiny 
tiny sample size, but I would take that sample size over what Ryan Yarbrough's given us so far. But again, that's not up to the manager. That's a general manager's decision. So uh, it, it's hard for Hoover's been fine for the most part. Um, yeah. I thought it was interesting. The one, the one kind of weird thing was that he went with Barlow to close the first game. And then he went with Chapman to close the second game. And, and then he went, and I thought, well, okay, maybe he doesn't want to pitch him back to back, but then Yarborough pitched yesterday and today. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, I, I'm, I, I don't know what the logic is there, but it's hard to decide one way or the other without knowing more. Maybe, maybe a little bit of familiarity or favoritism. I mean, Yarborough was with the Rays last year, and so was Hoover. So that that's could the only be, thing that I can think familiarity. of. Familiarity could be, could be. Greg, what what are your opinions so far of of Hoover as man interim manager? I don't really give it much thought. Like if Ryan okay. Yarborough comes out and throws two scoreless innings, then yeah, it was the right call. But no, he has a bad outing. And you know, if he puts together a lineup on Friday that gets Royals fans bringing out torches and pitchforks and they <laughs> win the game, well, I guess the lineup worked out then, right? What are y'all getting mad at Paul Hoover for? So I, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's one of those things that's just like judging it in hindsight. I think you're always going to be looking at it with that sort of bias. And so I, I don't really think too much on it, quite honestly. Like in the postseason, I will I'll admit that because there's a microscope on these things. But throughout the regular season, I'm not paying attention too much to what a manager is doing unless like the moves are consistently going backfiring. And if that's the case, yeah. like if it was like Mike Matheny and the Cardinals, then yeah, if those moves are constantly going wrong, there's definitely something you should look at. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, Jeremy, speaking of, uh, of love lady, when I, I saw him on a Thursday and I talked to him for, for a little bit, he was, uh, he was quite a grump when I said that I was a, a Royals fan. So take that uh-huh. with, uh, for, uh, for what you will. I mean, was, I, if I was Richard Lovelady, I wouldn't want anything to do with the Royals anymore either. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, I feel like that was a little bit more of a divorce than a happy parting than uh, than fans might anticipate. Well, guys, uh, that is that's honestly that's going to do it for our analysis on all things Royals this uh, this week. Uh, coming up on the other side of the ad break, we will have some stuff from Paul Hoover, but. Before we get there, I do want you guys to plug where we can find your work and where you know folks can find you on social media. So, Greg, please go and start us off. You can find me on Twitter at Greg, not Craig. That is Craig spelled C-R-E-G again, Greg, not Craig. You can also listen to me talk about baseball elsewhere. That is on my podcast, Bat Flips and Infield Shifts, which you can find wherever you listen to this. We'll be doing weekly episodes throughout the Major League Baseball season, as well as covering college baseball in separate episodes. And so if you're looking for anything to listen to like that, you know, check me out, Bat Flips and Infield Shifts again. All right. Thank you very much, Greg, for joining us tonight. Jeremy, where can folks find you at? Uh, for now, I'm still able to be found on Twitter at Hakaius, H-O-K-I-U-S. And, uh, you know, I just tweet about my nonsense over there. Having a good time. <laughs> well, hey, let's uh, random, you know, I have, I have some slight ADHD at points from listening with my very ADHD riddled wife. So do, do we think Twitter is going to be around for, for a lot longer or does it feel a little bit more, uh, more shaky to you guys, Jeremy, what do you think? I thought it was going to crash pretty quick. Um, the fact that it hasn't crashed already makes me think that inertia is going to carry it for a while, but I do wonder how much longer, uh, Elon Musk can continue to just kind of hemorrhage money from it before uh, other changes have to be made. That's true. Greg, what do you think? Twitter is eternal. It just might be like a different <laughs> sort of zombie like form later on. Who knows? And maybe it'll be like dead spin. 
Dead what? Dead spin. Dead spin is like zombie dead spin now. Yeah, they fired all of their writers because they try. Then they try to unionize, and they hired a bunch of new people, and now it's just like it's not the same thing as it was. Oh, the 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 sports writing site. I know, I know their logo now. Sorry, it took took me a second. See that there you go. They uh, they're not very uh, memorable now. I guess. Speaking of sports writing websites, I guess we also ought to mention that Jeremy and I write on Rolls Reviews. You can check us out there too, if you want. I, I I guess I got I guess you guys do good work there and and stuff like that. Yeah, if you're listening to this Royals podcast, then maybe you want to read about Royals stuff too. Maybe so. Sounds like a good uh, good guess to me. Well, hey, coming up on the other side of this ad break, we will have some sound bites, including one from Paul Hoover. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the early episode with myself, Jeremy Greco, and Greg Walker. Please go follow them on social media if you want good baseball content and even better Royals analysis. So today we did hear from some Kansas City Royals coaches. First, we're going to start off with the pregame segment that we heard from infield coach Jose Alguacil on Bobby Witt Jr. in particular and his ceiling in Kansas City. Well, you know what? He's a he's a he's a young talent with a with a great great abilities. I mean, uh, coming coming from a great family, very respectful, a kid that wants to get better. Um, and uh, you know what? One thing that impressed me about Bobby is in the way that, that he he walks. I mean, you can see him. He walk on his uh, on his tippy toes, and uh, that's a, a sign of a good athlete. Uh, that's in the that, that's the reason why he can run. And um, when I saw that, I, I, you don't see that in too many infielders. I saw that in Jeremy Pena when I managed Jeremy Pena in, in, in Dominican. And I remember before I see him playing, I had an interview and I, I told the, the reporter, I said, that guy is the best infield in this league. And we're talking in, in Dominican. And he ended winning the, the rookie of the year, the gold glove in Dominican. And, and he said, what do you saw in this guy? Well, the same thing that I see in a, in a Bobby Witt. And... Uh, you know, he's learning. He's, he's not the final product, but he's moving in the, in the right path. Uh, today, I was sharing some, some stuff, a, a great gift that I got this morning from, from Brandon Crawford. He sent me a, a, a glove sign with all the year and say to Papi, that's how he called me. And uh, I said, I say, now I want, I want one from you. And hopefully that's, that's the case. And now let's hear from interim manager Paul Hoover after today's three to one loss against the San Francisco Giants. Um, uh, we had the matchup we wanted with Yarbs against the lefty, and um, it looks like he's probably sitting at this, the slider and put a good swing on it. And that's what that's what good hitters do. And then, um, what did Carlos go through? Was that his hamstring? Um, I, I don't. I, they, they said it was more of a cramp. Um, with that whole situation, the, the the home plate umpire did not put him in the game, but I heard it over the loudspeaker, and that's that's all that's my fault for go, yeah with Sable so going out there. So when I went out there, we were making that move, and then Dan came to me and told me that he didn't put him in the game yet. So then the Carlos came back out until they made the move, and then we went to Yarbs. What do you think of the way Chris pitched today? Oh, he, was, he was incredible. I mean, he gave us what, what we were hoping for, and that was six innings and turned it over to Hernandez, Yarbrough, and then Barlow in some, some fashion, and he was, he was great. Um, couldn't ask for anything more. Was there any thoughts of keeping him in there? 
Yeah, no, I mean, he did his job. He, he gave us a chance, and we wanted to turn it over to our bullpen in that situation. We knew they had their lefties on the bench. Um, we knew they were going to hit, and uh, we liked the matchup with Yarbs and Barlow after Hernandez. Was Barlow warming up at all? When, no. When okay. No, no. We wanted to keep him at one inning. We didn't want him to go four outs just yet, so um, he was – nobody was moving around. With the way that Bubich pitched, um, just how frustrating is it that you guys weren't able to um, get that win there? Uh, super, I mean, you, you get an, an effort like that, it's – you, would, you hope, I mean, you obviously have a chance to win, but the bullpen's our strength. We relied on it, and today um, the other team made the adjustments. There's some missed opportunities there with the offense, not a ton, but thinking that after Nikki's double, they're late uh, not getting him in. Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to add, add another run at, at any point throughout the game, um, but we have one and trying to trying to hold on to it. All right, everyone, that is going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us and supporting us. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you could find us at Royal Rundown Pod. You could also find myself, Jake Milham, at Jacob Milham KC for some, I would say, good Chiefs and Royals content. But again, thank you for all the support you do already give us. And until next time, go Royals!